Hello and welcome to Starting Your Teaching Career. I'm C. Northington Purdy and today we have a special, special guest. Special because she was one of my students many years ago and has gone on to be an assistant superintendent in a large urban school district. So stay tuned. Hello, I'm C. Northington Purdy, and with us today, we have Sandra Diodenay, who is an assistant superintendent of schools in the Patterson, New Jersey School District. Those of you unfamiliar with the state of New Jersey, Patterson, New Jersey was highlighted years ago in the movie Lean on Me, where the principal um, did some transformation on one of the high schools in Patterson. Welcome, Miss Diodenay. Thank you for having me. I'm really excited to be talking to you and um, pretty much telling you what you taught me along the way. I took every one of your classes available at the college, so <laughs> I to be able to be able to tell you what I've been doing along the years and um, showing you how I've risen through the ranks with hard work is really exciting for me. So thank you for you know considering me a worthy person to interview. Thank uh, you. I'm I'm humbled every time a student comes back and lets me know that it turned out okay. And you'll see that's one of the rewarding things about being a teacher that your hands really do touch the world because you teach thousands of students and every now and then you get to see how that situation turned out how they turned out who they became what career they pursued it's wonderful it's one of the benefits of teaching it actually makes you feel makes you feel a lot more important than people realize um miss Diodenay, how long were you a teacher seven years seven years and what was your subject so I taught history, uh, social studies, uh, and reading. Okay. Um, did you find teaching fulfilling? Teaching was very fulfilling. Uh, you, at, at the classroom level, you impact students. Mm -hmm. uh, you impact parents. If you are a teacher leader, you impact fellow coworkers or colleagues. Um, and instruction, right? You, you develop a love of learning for children, and you teach them that the learning is an everyday thing that just because you graduate from high school or college, it doesn't stop. Learning right. is everlasting and that's how, you know, we, we, de we develop a growth mindset. We're going to be learning until the day that we die. So it's really all about teaching and learning and learning and teaching. Life is growth. Yeah. Uh -huh. So now, did you decide at one point you didn't want to be a teacher anymore? Did you get tired of it? Did you burn out? What made you decide to move on? Absolutely not. I am still a teacher uh, at heart. <laughs> I, I am still a teacher. Uh, I actually teach at a county college, a state county college. Uh, so I, you never lose the desire to teach as you go along the way. You shouldn't. Mm. So I went from teacher to literacy coach. Literacy coach. How did you how did you go from um, teaching to literacy coach? Did somebody walk up to you and say, hey, would you like to get out of the classroom and be a literacy coach? So I like to say to people that I invented the Common Core. Oh no! <laughs> I, I like to say to people I was doing Common Core before Common Core was a thing. Was, before it was uh, common. So I did a lot, <laughs> right before it was common. So I did a lot of 
social studies, but a lot of reading through social studies. And mm-hmm. so I knew that in order to talk about, you know, American Revolution or the Civil War or what have you, that I needed to bring rich literacy into the classroom so that students could read about it and not just memorize memorize dates, but to really get involved in, in what was happening with stories. So that when my um, vice principal saw that I did a lot of reading through social studies and that students were really being engaged and talking about it and having, you know, real educational discourse, she was like, you might be a good candidate for our uh, literacy coach, why don't you apply for it? So I did, um, and I got the job. And then from there, uh, through the different work that I was doing, talking to teachers and coaching teachers through, then the instructional coach position uh, became open. And that that is where the challenge came in. Not only was I doing reading, but I was doing math and science. And so you, you had to really coach teachers and do research to make sure that the information and the research that you were giving them was effective. And then from there, I became a high school um, supervisor. For wait, the wait, pause, pause, department. pause, mm-hmm. please. Um, for literacy coach, was there a requirement that you have a master's degree or something like that? So in this uh, particular, for this one, no, that the job description did not say that you had to have a, a master's degree. However, it would, it was, to your benefit to have a master's degree, mm-hmm. especially either being a reading um, specialist would work for that. And this was in the infancy of when reading and literacy coaches were coming up, so it wasn't really clear cut at the time. Right now, it really is clear cut. Now you you know that is part of here, especially here in Patterson. If you if that was a position, we don't have that position any longer. Oh. But if that was a position, you would have to have. Um, a master's degree in that we now have language arts supervisors uh, that are really content-based supervisors in, in that work and they have a master's in supervision in supervision and their their degree is in the content so if you're going to be a, ma- a math supervisor you have to have, you know some math not just Okay, so they are, um, they supervise, they're not department chairs, but they supervise the teaching of that subject, correct? Correct, but they do, exactly, but they support teachers. And so it's more than just supervision, it's supporting and giving them, you know, professional learning communities where they can learn to become better teachers. So a, a lot of people say, oh, it's a supervisor, mm-hmm. but supervisors really are master teachers. Mm-hmm. That, assist and support and I and I keep saying the word support uh, supervisors principals whatever administrators should be able to support the work of teachers and nothing happens without teachers teachers are at the core of it all we, we don't we teach are. our 30,000 students here in our district right the teachers teach we we have to support yeah yeah now when you were a literacy coach were you still teaching a full load I was not because oh, I was in a okay. school building that had about 800 um, students mm-hmm. and about 100 teachers, and it was K through 8, so I was supporting teachers K through 8. Oh. So I, I did a lot of the grade level meetings, um, PLCs, okay. and of the sort. So you, you didn't teach at all? I did not teach at all. The oh. last year that I was a literacy coach, I taught the seventh grade language arts. I co mm-hmm. uh, with another person. and. I was glad that I did that because you never want to lose 
practicing art in the craft of, of teaching. Yes. Okay. Um, thank you for clarifying that. See, that's a, that's another, we have, we've had an episode about the ways that teaching can propel you forward. And this justifies that because from, from the classroom, you became a coach and then you became a subject supervisor, correct? Correct. And then you moved on to? Principal. Oh, wait, 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 wait. So you went, you went from the subject level coach to principal. You were not the department chairperson or vice principal. So I, I was a department chair of language arts, math. Okay. Uh, and then vice principal? And social, and social studies. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then I, be, no, I didn't, I didn't become a vice principal because when I was doing the work of the department chair, I got involved in everything. I, I always tell people I was born nosy and if I didn't know anything, <laughs> I found out and I always pitched in. And because I was an administrator, I, I was able to do the work that vice principals were doing. And so when it came time, when it came time, that I, I said my work here is done. I provided professional development, a lot of professional wow. development to my teachers. Um, you know, I covered classrooms, I did schedules, mm-hmm. I worked with the budget. When I looked at could I be a principal, I knew that I was ready to be a principal because I had done the work of the vice principal and department chair all in one. It, it, it's actually in our in our in our um, district. They're on the same level. So it wasn't like I was superseding uh, anybody, but I, I did that work. I did lunch duty. I spoke oh, to teachers. I did observations. I did pre-conferences, post-conferences, mm-hmm. parent meetings. Um, I assisted with discipline. I ran the ISS uh, room. So In I, school I suspension. did all that hard work. And people used to say, well, why are you doing all of this? And that's not even your job. Mm-hmm. But I felt that as part of administration, I had to support my principal and my vice principal. And, you know, we're better together. Right. right? I can't right. say that. That's not my job. That's your job. If I can help you along the way, I'm going to help you. Uh, if I need to touch back for some assistance because I'm trying to help you and I'm stuck, I'm not afraid to say, I really don't know what I'm doing here. Can you assist me? Can you, can you push me along and send me right back on that yellow brick road so that I know what I'm doing? And so when it came time for me to apply for the principalship, I was very comfortable in not being a vice principal. And usually that is the normal of, prog- of progression, right? Is it? But in, in my particular case, it wasn't, and and you don't you don't have to follow normal when when you're competent and know the work. Mm-hmm. Um, and so a lot of times I have supervisors here that you know oh I'm ready to be a vice principal and I have to remind them like no no you're ready to be a principal you're not ready to be a vice principal you've done that work wow. um, and and it's and it's okay mm-hmm. um, and so uh, I try to inspire um, young supervisors you know you work hard you learn everything that you have to along the way and you assist that vice principal where you can mm-hmm. um, and, and you can move on, you really can. And, and again, there are several themes that go around, um, you know, rising the ranks and hard work is one and putting in your time. Yes, yes. So interesting. So, so now, um, at what point did you decide to go back and get your master's in supervision or did you get a certification? How did you do that? So I have uh, two master's degrees. So um, I, I did mention that I was nosy. So <laughs> I, and, and 
I, I did mention that I was nosy, and I'm and I'm and I also introduce myself to everyone that I meet. How are you? And tell them what I'm interested in and what my plans are, mm-hmm. and a guidance um, a guidance uh, teacher wanted to be the director of bilingual education so she was always doing research on bilingual education mm-hmm. and so she was able to find a grant uh, it was a million dollar grant from the federal government it was called project tell teaching english language learners mm-hmm. and so she brought it to our school and she said to me i didn't really have a choice she said you're getting a master's degree i said i am she said yes you are see me at my office i never forget see me at my office on Thursday, and we're going to discuss how you're going to do this. And I was like, okay. Yeah. And so she said, and, and, you know, when you are collaborative and you introduce yourself and you are a team player, things fall in your lap. It was a blessing, obviously. And so she said, you don't have to pay anything. We're paying for What? We're paying for, yes. So um, it was a cohort of us. And so I have a master's degree in uh, multicultural education and bilingual education and I was free of charge uh, so I was actually told that I had to do this who was paying Funny for story, it then I, the federal government paid for it but wonderful. I didn't pay a dime wonderful um, and my um, it, it, funny story, I ended up being her supervisor. Oh, I no. The principal, yeah. The principal, so I, when, when, the, when your mentor becomes, you know, when your mentee becomes your boss, it's kind of awkward, but, you know, it's all good. Yeah. And then um, after that, uh, I to be honest with you, I, I would see my principal going back and forth, and I was like, you know, I think I have what it takes to be a, a principal. Mm-hmm. So because I had a master's degree, getting into the program was, was not that difficult. Um, I had to take four classes for administration uh, administration and supervision. So mm-hmm. then I was able to get my supervisor's license. It was four classes. Twelve um, credits. That, that, that was great. And, and because I knew that I wanted to teach adults mm-hmm. um, and that I, I, I had people would listen to me i was into research people love listening to what the research said and that's one thing that i always encourage teachers is to continue to read the research mm-hmm. and continue to read in in general so um so i took the the classes and uh, because i had a master's degree earlier i my that degree was less than ten thousand dollars which was nice um, great being a teacher, you'd have tuition reimbursement, so that was great. So it really didn't cost anything. Um, <laughs> Amazing. Right? So it's part of that that work, right? Mm-hmm. All right, all right. Let's uh, take a quick break, and then we'll come back and talk some more about your experience. And I, I mean, I'm I'm already through the process, but I'm motivated just listening to the progression of your career that being a teacher is a springboard to anything, you know, and and people don't realize that. I want people to know that being a teacher is, it's a springboard. All you get, you get on there and you jump and you can just go as high as you like. Stay with us. Okay. Miss Diadene. Okay. back with Ms. Diadene. Tell us about your experience being a school principal. Was it a 
kindergarten through eighth grade principalship or was it high school? It was a K through six building. Oh, okay. So kindergarten to sixth grade. Uh, I loved being a principal. In fact, I, I joke with people, and but I'm really serious that when I retire, there are two things that I want to do. I want to go back to be a school principal, and I want to teach at the college level, uh, continue that work that I'm doing now. Um, so being a principal is like being a rock star. <laughs> <laughs> And I say that very sincerely, and people know that there comes the rock star, because as a principal, you get to, again, you're the master teacher in the building. You impact students, teacher, community. Mm -hmm. uh, you, you, you get to have relationships with central office. You develop partnerships with universities. So you are all over, and it's work that never stops even when you're on vacation you <laughs> never stop being the principal if you're out to Chuck E. Cheese with your son on a random <laughs> Sunday you don't take off the hat of a principal because you might bump into your kids oh, there that used to drive me crazy <laughs> I'd be pushing my cart in the supermarket and people would come hey Miss Northington you like milk you drink milk oh my god look at her she's right. got that in her cart yeah that's cool though <laughs> He's like Foster Flakes. Right. Right. I, I completely understand. So it yeah. really is, you're, you're always on. Um, and, always. I, and I absolutely loved it. Mm -hmm. uh, today, in fact, I was observing principals as part of my job. And, you know, you go into kindergarten and all of them, you know, run up to you and want to give you a hug Aww. and know you as the building leader. As the principal, you get to do physical education and with students. You get to eat lunch with them. You have morning lineup, outside the morning lineup. And when kids indeed have a problem, they know that you care and you're kind enough and you're going to listen to them. So you're you're a, a superhero, you're a rock star, you're everything. And at the end of the day, your teachers know that it is all about teaching and learning and about the children. The children are at the core of it all and we have to do what's best for them. We mm -hmm. love you as teachers, but we have to do what's best for children. Mm -hmm. And as long as everybody knows that, I mean, that's the bottom line. And if you're going to work for me, you're going to have to love children. <laughs> you if you don't love children, right? Oh, you know, it's, it's so disheartening when you come across people who are teaching and it's really obvious that they don't even like kids. You know, it, it, it's, it's so disheartening. Absolutely. But what can you do? So, Right. So and that all starts with the hiring process, right? We we need to hire the best teacher available for your for your students, one that is going to embrace the climate and culture of your building, one that is going to understand her content knowledge, one that is going to be able to volunteer her time, know what differentiated instruction really is to meet the needs of students, mm -hmm. uh, really be able to look at data and say, hey, Cindy really needs help when it comes to fractions mm -hmm. and really mm -hmm. work with her on that. Uh, really develop the love of learning for all, being able to have a great classroom management. Those are all things that we look for mm -hmm. uh, when we hire somebody. And of course, you're new, you're coming out of college, many, uh, many, many people, and that's fine. But at least being open to learning and to ask questions, not being afraid to fail if they try an instructional strategy, right? Allowing kids to be able to talk to each other and critically think, yes. not, you know, dumbing down curriculum, but oh. really 
giving them some rigorous uh, work that they're going to learn and really grapple with, right? Mm -hmm. So those are all the things that through um, interviews and conversation, you pull out of candidates and make sure, like, is this the best individual that our uh, kids can have, especially in the urban district, we need children to have the best teacher because some of them, not all, but some of them are struggling with some stuff that when they come to school, yes. you know, we want them to learn. And I always say, when my kids on Sunday go to sleep, I want them to say, I can't wait to go to school on Monday. Like, oh. not can't wait to go to school on Monday like that that is the, the the feeling of every child that I want that walks through my doors as a principal right can't wait to go to school on Monday not like Ugh, I have to go to school on Monday but like let's get this going yeah I'm ready to yeah. learn so you know if you hire the right teachers and you have those different qualities and mm -hmm. that that is what we're looking for um and and of course kids need to feel safe and that classroom management has to be where it is uh in order to begin any work you can take kids to the moon they just have to know that they're going to get there safely and that you are the adult in the classroom. We'll take them to the moon. So, <laughs> right? We, we can go to the moon and we're going to be safe. We're going to have safe landing because I have classroom management and I'm not going to allow anything to ever happen to you. I'm in charge. That's right? beautiful. And we're a team. So now what's a, dear, a deal breaker for you when, when a candidate comes in seeking a teaching position and you are the, the decision maker? So not poor attendance. Right. Oh, and and I, I interesting. Like, poor attendance, uh, because you have to think about it. If a kid is chronically absent and a teacher is chronically absent, they miss double the time of instructional time. Uh, teachers that don't think that instructional time is sacred. Uh, if anybody knows uh, Sandra Tilsonay, that's one of the things that they'll learn from you. Oh, Sandra Tilsonay, instructional time is sacred. I, there is such thing as teachable moments. You can't just have a thousand teachable moments and stay off curriculum, right? That's right. We need to teach kids. Oh, one year's of work and one year's time. There's no such thing as free time. So kids used to laugh at me and say, you know, even for our holiday party, our Christmas party, Miss Gilden, they always had some teaching going on. And they knew it. <laughs> Why? There's, there's no such thing as free time. We have, uh, you know, hundreds of standards that need to be met. There, there's no such thing as free time. So um, teachers that don't consider the data, you know, just want to teach to the whole class, teachers that don't differentiate the instruction, teachers whose lesson plans are not implemented properly, uh, teachers who don't allow students to talk. Oh, um, interesting. So, that, you've got a lot all, of those. The, right. And so, you know, the one, who, and I always say to my people, the one who does most of the talking does most of the learning, right? right? So right. you have to allow kids to be able to discuss. So just because Veronica knows the answer and you always call on Veronica, you know, uh, Jenny knows the answer too. Just give her the opportunity to tell her friend, like, oh, I know that answer. And um, teachers who don't allow kids to take um, academic risk, right, that mistakes are fine. We grow from mistakes, that's not right. That's right. a teacher that's just like wrong, right? <laughs> some some deal breakers for me and, and obviously teachers who don't um, when they question they don't question with higher order uh, thinking it's all 
you know, on Bloom's taxonomy, it's all recall. Like, mm -hmm, I need to see the what if of the world. Right. What do you think? Uh, so all of that, I mean, and, and it's stuff that we learn in, in, in college when we go through our, our, our teaching program. It's just being able to implement it. Mm -hmm. So those are those are deal breakers. And, and, and people who are not kind to children, that's a deal breaker. Or teachers who don't know how to talk to parents, don't keep accurate records. Uh, don't submit things on time. You know, so all of that. Uh, do you still do you encounter? Um, do you have any um, uh, personnel that still refuse or maybe um, are resistant to the technology that is uh, so mandatory now? We so obviously the use of technology is really important. Our kids are technology natives, right? They mm -hmm. come out the womb learning <laughs> technology. <laughs> those uh, those teachers. Uh, we put corrective action plans in place that that's a non-negotiable for us. So mm. You can't do that. You're going to probably end up on a corrective action plan. And so you're, you're going to learn it mm. one way or the other. Mm -hmm. that, that is no longer an option. And years wow. ago, it was like, oh, I don't even know how to turn on a computer. Mm -hmm. Well, now you might have to learn how to make a computer fly, right? <laughs> uh, we'll, we'll teach you. You just have to do it. And, and now with the advent of... Google Classrooms and, you know, kids are pretty much developing their own apps and making robots like that's no longer that that comes. That's almost you understood when it comes to interviewing. Yes, it is. Um, and so do you um, when you interview some for someone to come to your district, do you ask them to teach a sample lesson? Absolutely. Uh, as a matter of fact, that's uh, something that is on our principles of evaluation. Uh, unless it's a job fair, mm -hmm. or sometimes they do come back and, and say, you know, we like you, but we need to see you in action. So uh, definitely having a model lesson is important. And if, and if your model lesson does not include technology, that is a problem. Now, if your model lesson um, has a technology piece, and we all know that Murphy's Law, mm -hmm. the technology is right. not going to work. Right. We need to see what your plan B is like. Oh, and so that, you want them to think on their feet? Yes, we want to. Or if they're prepared, right? Prepare, mm -hmm. prepare, prepare is one of my advice that I give new teachers all the time. Mm -hmm. You have to prepare for the best, and you have to prepare for the worst, and you have to prepare for your very, you know, your your very intelligent students and those that are having challenges. So mm -hmm. it's just not teaching to the middle. So all of that we see, and it's usually like a 40 to 80 minute classroom that we're expecting you to um, model for us. Wow. Okay. Um, we're going to take a quick break. And, and when we come back, I'd like you to give some advice to those who are just starting their career in teaching. And as an assistant superintendent in charge of curriculum, are you curriculum? Uh, no, I was I was the associate chief involved with curriculum, but oh. now I, I supervise twenty schools. Oh, in so. charge of twenty schools. Uh, that's a lot of teachers. Yeah. What yeah. think of the advice when we come back? What advice would you give to a new teacher coming in the field? Stay with us. Unfortunately. We lost the connection with Ms. Diodenay, and I was not able to record her response when uh, I asked her for advice for the person starting her teaching career. So I'm, I wrote them down, though, and I'm going to share them with you now. Ms. Diodenay emphasized reading, that 
before you pursue your career as a teacher, while you're pursuing your career as a teacher, stay current, read all you can read books on education, articles on education, seek out websites that teach how to teach and stay current. She said, of course, she said, listen to a podcast about, and there are a lot of education podcasts now that you can pick and choose. They are wonderful. Many of them observe great teachers was another piece of advice that she said is important that observe teachers, not just your friends, but those who are exhibiting best practices. And if you don't know who those people are, ask uh, the principal of the school. He or she knows which ones you should try to emulate. Avoid situations. Now this is, I, I would never have thought to say this, but she said, avoid situations in which you are the smartest person in the room. Avoid. Why? Because if you are the smartest person in the room, there's no room for you to learn anything. What are you going to learn? You should try to put yourself in situations where you can always learn something. Be curious, she said, and be persistent. Be persistent. Don't take no for an answer. Don't give up. Um, it has been my pleasure to talk to her. I, I'm so better. I'm a better practitioner for having taught her. And it's interviews and conversations like this that show the value and the, the, the prestige that teaching can bring you. Ms. Diodene said that a good teacher is always prepared and always has plan B. And I hope my plan B <laughs> was adequate. I'm glad that I took notes. It's always good to take notes when you're listening to someone, just in case you need to use those notes. And I had to use them today. I hope you've enjoyed this interview. And if you have a comment, please feel free to contact us and enjoy your teaching career because it's going to be great. Bye-bye. Thank you.